Wow. Have you have you seen the movie Doctor Strange, the Marvel movie? Yes. <laughs> did you did you relate to that? <laughs> I totally related. And the person I went with, he was like, I don't get why why you were like so emotional during the movie and all this stuff. I'm like, do you not see this is me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's crazy because Welcome to Learn or Be Learned. We either learn from others or others learn from us. The former is able to help us become a better, faster you. Follow me weekly as I dig up stories like a true anthropologist would on one of the three series called Guest Conversations, Book Applications, or My Small Talk Explorations. I'm your host, Shiva Danshaker, and let's talk. All right, welcome back, friends. So today I'm here with Dr. Angela Mulrooney. And Angela, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. So I am, I, what I work in currently right now is personal branding, supported by brand archetyping. And what I do is work with people to help them to get their content out there. I originally came from the dental industry. I was a practicing dentist. And unfortunately, I got injured after I built my dream practice and had everything exactly where I wanted it to be. So that put my life uh, kind of into a bit of a turmoil and I had to figure out what I was going to be when I grew up again, which took a few lovely twists and turns. And recently I just divested down to exactly what I'm doing right now. So I've sold off all my other companies and now I'm just focused on the personal branding. Mm -hmm. I actually watched a podcast that a different podcast you were in and you were talking about how you were, that was like your drilling hand yeah, and you had to like get like, injections or something to like loosen the muscles so you could go to work the next day and it was almost like you were every day the job was like too much stress on your hand and you had to go relieve that afterwards. we were having um I was having to get needles put in to try and release the muscles so that it would keep me going and uh eventually it just didn't work anymore my hand completely stopped working during a surgery and that was unfortunately the last day I got to practice wow have you have you seen the movie Doctor Strange, the Marvel movie? Yes. <laughs> did you did you relate to that? I totally related. And the yeah. person I went with, he was like, I don't get why why you were like so emotional during the movie and all this stuff. I'm like, do you not see this is me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's crazy because I I was pre med um, not too long ago, and. Um, and, you know, last semester of college, I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. And mm-hmm. so I, I like understand a little bit about the path and, and how, you know, how much work it takes to really get there. And, you know, and, and, and I think we all assume once we achieve something, it'll be like smooth sailing and happily ever after forever. And um, and you said in your previous podcast that you were, what, 24, 25 when you started practicing? right? Yeah, so that's, that's, that's pretty young. Um, how did you feel emotionally at that moment when you felt like, well, what do I do now? Uh, well, it was, I'd wanted to be a dentist since I was two and I was 32 when it happened. So mm-hmm. my whole path in life was I was going to be a dentist. And so I hadn't really considered being anything else. I did dance professionally as long as I was a dentist, but that was, I was doing it because I could because I had the physical ability. And um, it, to me, it was just, I was going to do it until I was too old to do it. And 
So that didn't feel like that viable option. And, you know, doing dental school is one thing. Yes, it's a lot of work. But then the work that was put into actually do the extra skills that I was doing, like I was an IV sedationist, I was doing full mouth reconstruction, I was doing implants, I was doing sleep apnea. So I'd acquired all these extra skills, which cost me way more money than going to school in the first place. And so it was, it was a big investment. And I hadn't, I hadn't made a plan B because I didn't think I needed to. I thought I was going to drill to the day I died. Right. So it, it sent me reeling and kind of had a bit of an identity crisis because I, Angela was supposed to be the person with the drill in her hand. You know, mm-hmm. she was the one who played with teeth since she was little. So right. it was, it took a lot to actually pull out of that and figure out what my next path would be. Mm-hmm. You know, with that, I want to ask, what are your thoughts on holding your identity to one aspect of your life? Because it seems like, you know, it was the whole thing was, I'm going to be a dentist, dentistry. And when that was stripped away, it felt like it was almost like someone stripped who you were away. So what what are your thoughts on holding your identity to only one aspect of your life or giving that only the recognition? Well, I don't think you should do it, but it wasn't even obvious to me that I had done that because that was just, I felt like that was just the entirety of, of me was, this is what I want to do. And a lot of my identity, to be honest, has been wrapped up in achievement and contribution and work, not necessarily my personal life, but, you know, anything that I do that I like doing, I kind of turn into a hobby. It goes from hobby to profession, right? Mm-hmm. Like professional dance wasn't just because I like dancing. It was because I wanted to achieve it. I want to win championships. Um, same thing with dentistry. Like I didn't just want to be a dentist and play with people's teeth. I wanted to see where my potential laid. Mm-hmm. And so there was always, that was just part of me was wrapped up in that achievement. And when people, yes, they kind of put all their eggs in one basket with that identity. I don't think you even realize you've done it until it's gone. And then you go, oh, yeah. <laughs> what do I do now? Right. Um, so it's it's hard to even recognize that, I think, until it's gone. Right. And where do you see your identity now? What What are your components that make up your identity? It's still, like... I'll be honest, I'm, I'm still a workaholic. I'm working on that and trying to regain the balance. But um, I, I still see a lot of my identity is that professional contribution. And maybe that's just the path that I'm on. Like that's what I was put here to do was to help other people um, help themselves to get out of their own way, which is part of what I did in dentistry. That's what I do now. And yes, I like having that personal life as well. But what my identity feels like, it's still wrapped up in contribution to the world. Mm-hmm. And you said you're a workaholic trying to work on it. Is, are you trying to work on balance? or? Well, by divesting my companies. So I've gone from really having to work 100 hours a week to try and keep the wheels on the, the, the bus rolling. But there's still that addiction of like, well, if I want to avoid something, then I go and do some work, right? Mm-hmm. And that feeling that, you know, something's going to go wrong if I don't do the work. But, you know, recently I had COVID and I came back from a conference and flew through Costa Rica and I tested positive and I was in quarantine for 10 Mm -hmm. days and I had a fever 103 for seven days. So my brain was just mush and the place I stayed had the worst internet ever. And so I couldn't even really do work if I wanted to. And so those moments make you go, well, the wheels didn't really fall off the bus. So what am I so worried about? And so there's those little awakenings, but then, you know, if you've been in a habit for a long time, it's really hard to undo that habit. 
And it takes a lot of thought to try and undo that habit. So I find, you know, I am working on it, but I also have to like keep cutting these ties of habits that I've had forever. Right. And I, what I find ironic but helpful is sometimes being bored and doing nothing, um, you know, not escaping, like escapism isn't really helpful, like, you know, going to watch Netflix or going to a bar, but more so doing nothing, actually just sitting around, not on your phone can like sometimes unlock your creativity or unlock those thoughts that you've kind of just either been escaping or putting off by, you know, doing other work or things like that. And uh, that was actually my first couple episodes on my podcast was a book episode called Bored and Brilliant. And it talks about all sorts of stuff like that, like creativity coming from when you're not doing anything. So I think that's really important too, is is finding balance, but also kind of knowing when to just relax a little bit, because then maybe you'll find a different perspective in the work that you do. Yes, I agree. And when I had my practice, I had that figured out. Like I worked six weeks on and would take a week off. Mm. And I would only work three to three and a half days a week in those six weeks that I was on. And then what I found happened was after losing everything, I was afraid I was going to lose it again. And so there was always this this reaching me like, well, if I just work hard enough, I'm going to create this insurance for myself that this will never happen again. And then, you know, I ended up having a major surgery that set me back for six months. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this can happen at any time. And that actually reinforced more fear instead of reinforcing the good habit that I had when I was in practice. So I think we have all these things that we acquire because of situations and mindset and all that. And once you're mindful of it, then you can do something about it. But it's hard to even have people be like, you're working too hard. You don't need to be working so hard <laughs> and trying to push you to do that when you're like, but I need to because this could happen again. And I have proof that it happened mm -hmm. before and could happen again. Right. And with all that, you've then moved to coaching and personal branding and, and things like that, right? How did that path either? Did you find it? Did it find you? How did that all happen? So I'll be honest, since I lost my dental career, I've been experimenting and experimenting and trying to figure out what I should do because I've, I do have a lot of things I could offer to the world. So I mm -hmm. built my professional dance company. I built the business coaching company for dentists because I had this experience that I could offer to the world. And then in building my business coaching company, I, I did my own personal branding and then people started asking me to do it. And it took a lot of that experimenting to finally have it come to a head this this past summer when I was like, I need to pick a lane here. And I've had enough time experimenting and trying to figure out which what is actually going to work for me. And now I know this is what I'm meant to be doing. Um, but it, it, it is a process to try and figure that out. And like, I feel very fortunate that the first half of my life, I knew what I was supposed to be doing. I was going to be a dentist, right? And then you know, figuring it out as a grown up and also having this, there was a lot of shame in it as well. Cause I'm like, I'm a freaking doctor. <laughs> like, why am I starting again? Why am I having to reinvent myself here when I had exactly what I wanted? Right. Um, so it, oh my gosh, it's been, it's definitely been a journey. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of relate a little bit as I'm experimenting around. So it's like, I don't know, you, you kind of, that it's, it's like what's overwhelming is once you're out of the whole medical industry, it's like you've realized there's so many open doors and you just don't know which one to choose from. And I, I'm assuming that's what you had to go through when, when you were 32 and realized, okay, well, now what do I do? And there's like millions of doors, which is a blessing. You know, I'm not saying like, oh, that, that sucks. But what's hard, what's the other side of that coin is it's hard because you have so many options. You don't know 
well, I do like this and I do like that, but you know, where do I go? And, and yeah, it's, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. And I feel for the younger generation coming up too, because now they're like, even my generation, yes, there was a lot of options, but it was still, you were kind of expected to finish high school, go to university and get a career. Mm-hmm. And now we're here. People are like, well, why would you even go to university? That's going to hamper your creativity. That's going to hamper what you could do in the world. And so they have almost way too many options. It's overwhelming to even figure out what you want to do, what you want to contribute, because you can do anything that you want and you need to figure out what you actually should be doing with your life instead of um, looking at all the options because it'll just paralyze you. Right. And it seems like the whole school system is still following the, the former structure of getting you, pushing you through college. So it's when you start diverting from that or diverting from the typical nine to five job is when you start seeing all this like anxiety of options because, you know, it's different and you weren't really taught like, oh, you could make a living doing this. You don't have to, you know, climb the corporate ladder forever if that's not what you want. If if you like the pay, you like what you do, then of course do it. But if you don't, you know, it's like there's other options and you're not really ever taught that. Yes. For sure. And like, it's interesting because there's a lot of people who are going on YouTube and learning skills now, whereas before it was like, well, you had to pay a whole bunch of money and you had to buy the textbook and study the textbook to be able to get this information. But now we have it all at our fingertips. And so I think the newer gen, the younger generation is exposed to so much, so many more ideas too. It's not just that they have options. They've been bombarded with so much more information than we ever did because you know it was like this textbook and then this textbook and then this textbook and so we had this clear path to actually follow which is I think it was helpful for us to have that simplicity but I think it was also not helpful for us to have that creativity Mm -hmm. it's funny because you know my parents obviously much older than me um they'd often think things are like scams um because they saw like infomercials and things like that be like why did you buy that course from that person it's probably a scam and and it's kind of hard to tell them like no no i i think this you know i've seen this person's videos i see the credibility i so i invested in it and they'll say like oh no no you could you know you could get it for free like uh, yeah it's it's so it's so different um and very obvious. So, and I, and I found it very interesting that you moved into personal branding, which I think is totally the, the second wave of the internet is what people call it, right? It went from the first wave being information based like emails and and Google searches to the second wave being social media. Um, And people are saying like the third wave is like, you know, the blockchain and metaverse and all that stuff. But you, it seems like you're focused on branding, which at least at the moment is still more second wave internet of social media presence and things like that. So did you start getting into this and you were like, oh, I, I like making content and contributing because I see that you've grown on like LinkedIn and stuff, right? Right. And so part of it was really just trying to showcase to people how I could help them. Right, because there's only so many phone calls you can do in a day. There's only so many messages you can do. So I was like, how do I go from my conversations one-on-one to my conversation really reaching more people? So that was where getting on LinkedIn and talking about, originally what I was talking about, like how to niche into your passion in dentistry, how to brand yourself in in dentistry. And then it turned into other things because other um, sectors started to approach me and be like, 
how did you do that? Can you do that for me? And so mm-hmm. I had to learn how to replicate my formula and help them to do that. But I think the personal branding, why I narrowed it down to it is it allowed me to pull in everything that I could do. So it's, it allows me to teach them the physicality of telling a story because I'm helping them to be charismatic with their physicality, with their voice on camera, which is what I pull from my dance background. Mm-hmm. And then the business side of it came from the business coaching with dentistry. So I'm not, sometimes I'm helping them organize their business, but I'm helping them organize the business of influence and how they can use their personal brand to build their company. Mm-hmm. And then also my experience on LinkedIn with building my own brand and it all makes sense to pull that stuff together and and bundle that in the way that I have. Whereas before I was like, bundle one, bundle two, bundle three, three completely different companies. And people are like, who do you think you are running all these companies? And it didn't make sense to them mm-hmm. how those skills intersected. So now I've been able to take the best of everything that I do and put it into one thing, which is what I help a lot of my clients do too, because they're really talented. They have so many things that they can be doing, but they are really confusing to the marketplace because of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's much easier to see in hindsight. It's like, oh, my dance helped me with this and, and things like that. Is there such a thing as, you know, too early to be branding yourself, especially when you don't know what your expertise is? You know, like, because you said, you know, I've done a little bit of dentistry, you know, dancing, personal branding, helping through both of those. So what about people that are you know, younger, still trying to find their niche, trying to find their way? Is it too early to start? What, what, what are your thoughts? You have a personal brand, whether you've worked on it or not. Okay. So you, you might as well be working on it and figuring out what you want the world to know about you because you can leave it up to chance and just have, don't put anything out there. Don't showcase what you're interested in. Even if you're interested in a lot of things, don't show what your personality is. Don't talk about where you want to go in your life. And then the world gets to decide for you what you actually are. Whereas if you have the opportunity to present yourself and guide what you want the world to know about you, that's where you're going to help yourself. And so you're not leaving it up to chance. You're starting to craft what you want people to know. And it's not about, you know, faking it. You don't want to fake it until you make it. You need to own exactly where you're at. And that's what I see people go off course with their personal brands is they're trying to be something that they're not. And people feel that incongruency, right? And if they discover proof of that incongruency, then they're like, oh, that instinct that I felt about that person was right. And then you're completely discounted. So even if you're young and starting out, be okay with where you're at, be okay with showcasing where you're at, because then people will actually often step up and say, I see where you want to go. How can I help you? Right, right. So sometimes you hear people say, you know, but I don't have credibility you know, I don't have this or I don't have that title yet. So for people like that, you're suggesting that you work on it now and build to where you want to go. And sometimes opportunities and doors open up. And reach out to the people that you you are interested to work with, mm-hmm. right? Like you'd be surprised. Like I live on LinkedIn. So I'm not, I'm not talking to Instagram. I'm not talking to Facebook. I'm talking about LinkedIn. You can reach out to those people who are one level up or a couple levels up. And start conversations with them and just say, you know, this is where I want to go. Can I pick your brain about it? Right. And so showing that humility that you don't know everything that you want to learn, um, it it does add to your credibility because people don't want to know it all. Right. They want to see that you're vulnerable. You're not trying to be a superhero. You're not trying to be on a pedestal, especially when you're trying to build your personal brand. You want to humanize who you are, not perfectionize who you are, because if you're trying to be perfect, nobody trusts that. 
because mm-hmm. nobody is perfect. You're never going to create perfect content, or if you do, then it feels too corporate and it doesn't feel relatable. Um, so just again, being where you where you're at is totally okay. And if you're looking for those jobs, you have to be where you're at and be honest about that. Otherwise, you know they're going to see the holes in your resume. They're going to see the holes in your credibility, and then you've already blown yourself out of the water. Right. I, I like that because I think the whole distinction, especially when you're younger, is to have confidence in your ability, but not to not to create this sense of overconfidence that you know everything, because that can be very off-putting, especially when you are younger. People will be like, you know, you really don't know anything. You've been in this industry for like a year. <laughs> so, so it's confidence in yourself, but not overconfidence that you know the industry. Yeah. And it's very common when you're starting out that you feel like you know a lot because you went and you studied this thing and you're like, yeah, let me out of here. Let me (laughs) unleash myself on the world. And then anyone who's been experienced in a field knows that probably around the five-year mark, you're going to have this wake-up call where you're like, I know nothing. I probably shouldn't actually be doing this job (laughs) because I don't know enough to actually know what I'm doing that's doing harm. Um, so it's it's interesting that we have that realization, but everyone's going to go through that phase because we're passionate. So we're like, well, I can help, I can help everyone because I have this little bit of knowledge. And you probably can help a little bit with everyone, but you also need to know where your limitations are. And I think that's where acknowledging where you're at and owning that is helpful. Right. And what advice do you have for people that want to brand themselves on LinkedIn? I'm sure there's a ton. <laughs> There's a ton. <laughs> First off, fill out your whole profile. Um, Do what? There's all these sections that fill out your whole oh, profile. Right, right. Oftentimes, you know, there's all these little, there's little pencils for each of the sections that you can fill out. And it's funny, I'll put out these polls and people are like, I don't need help with this. And I go and check out their profile. I'm like, well, you kind of, you you do actually need quite a bit of help, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but just go in and start filling the sections. Like they've made it a fill in the blanks thing. It's so beautiful. Um, it guides you through it. Do everything, fill in every blank that you can fill out. And then start, don't just try and create content and sit there and hope that someone is going to see it. Reach out, go and like and interact with the people who are the people that you want to have connection with go and start sending messages out and start conversations and don't just pitch people. We know (laughs) we've all received pitches in our LinkedIn. We were like, I know you think I need your service, but I don't, you know, nothing about me. Right. And so it's like delete or you block them or whatever you do. Um, So start those organic conversations with just getting connected as a human being, not even professional to professional, but just get to know them as a human being and then see if that goes into a professional conversation And that will get you a lot farther than if you are trying to just send someone a pitch and be like, let's connect on a call because I know I'm the right person for you when you know nothing about them. That's very generic. That's very outdated. It doesn't work anymore. And, you know, you don't have to be creating a whole bunch of thought leadership content if you aren't a thought leader, right? If you don't know a whole lot, your contribution can be going and sharing other people's stuff that you find interesting. And giving your opinion on why you find it interesting, giving your opinion on why you think that's applicable to your industry or where you're trying to go. That can be insightful and you'll find you'll have, you know, people at similar level following you and wanting to interact with your information. But you'll also have those people who put out that content paying attention because they can see if their stuff has been shared. And that's when you're going to have people reach down and try and pull you up to the next level with them is when they see that you are, you know, 
you're, you are trying to learn, you're open, you're humble, and not trying to claim that you know everything. You're actually saying, I'm really interested in this, and this is what I learned from it. Maybe you can learn from it too. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and I've heard things like, you know, always trying new features when a platform comes out with it, it can be very helpful. Um, I know LinkedIn came out with that video bio for your profile. Um, what do you suggest for someone who wants a bigger reach? Is it patience of just posting? Because uh, I know LinkedIn right now has a good organic reach at the moment. I don't know how long that's going to last, but what do you suggest for people that are trying to gain a larger audience over time? I'd say evaluate why you want to gain that larger audience because the algorithm changed, um, I think it was in May this past year, where you know you used to be able to reach out to 3,000 people in a month and connect with 3,000 new people. Now you're down to 400. And so you have to be very careful with how you're building. If you're just trying to gain the popularity contest of having X number of followers because you think that's impressive, is that actually going to benefit you? Or is it more beneficial to reach out to those right people and get really careful with who you're reaching out to so that you are spending your time well building out what you're trying to build out? So if you're trying to get that next job, are you reaching out to those right people? If you're trying to build your clientele, who are those right people? Because they're the ones who are going to engage with your content. They're the ones who are probably going to refer. They're probably going to become clients. And that's way more impressive than just having this giant following that actually isn't driving anything for you. Mm -hmm. And you can't, you can't play the rhythm, the algorithm on LinkedIn, like Instagram, you can buy old accounts and instantly have a following LinkedIn. You can't do that. You actually have to build it. You can't, you can't trip up the system. And so why do you think, and I'm sure you've worked with clients before. Why do you think are some of the reasons people want larger audiences is one of them almost like a like a ego thing where it's like I, I you know like I want to see larger numbers or you know I know I'm not saying everyone is like that but do you have you noticed that sometimes it's like well I guess I just want a larger audience just because I want you know more recognition or something right yes well I think there's that old school thinking of I have to have a certain number of followers before I have that credibility mm. Yeah. And it's hard to let go of those thinking because, you know, when someone's like, oh my gosh, this person has 100,000 followers on Instagram. It sounds impressive, but it's like, well, is that actually turning into something? And so again, yes, there's that optics. And when someone sees that you have a ton of followers, it is impressive. But if you're also fueling, not just completely relying on that number, but also putting out content that gives value, whether you're sharing someone else's or you're creating your own content, you're having those messages that are adding value. You're actually connecting with people, not just collecting them. It's going to benefit you more, but it is tempting to play into the popularity contest because you're like, well, this is measurable, right? I can measure how well I'm doing, how well I'm being seen because I've got this many people following me. Mm -hmm. But you have to see if that's actually turning into... Um, the results that you actually want is that benefiting your career is it benefiting your business and i think that's way more important but you know it's like counting calories on the treadmill right exactly <laughs> do you feel better or do you want to know how many calories you counted yeah. right and i think we always have to weigh those two things it's yeah that's interesting because i have the plan to start posting more on linkedin and i've been doing a good job 
with posting more on Instagram and I've noticed that I lost a lot of followers that were more considered ghost followers or followers that don't really interact with your account. More so people that I grew up with over time that just follow me to kind of, I guess, you know, people follow people to keep track or like say like, oh, look, they've done this now. And and I lost a lot of those ghost followers, but it's cool to see that I've gained followers I don't even know of people that actually followed because they were interested in what I was posting. So I think that's also really cool. What I What I also want to ask is the reason I was never big on social media for a long time was just because I didn't want to get involved in it and I didn't want to get sucked into it because I know it can be addictive and I didn't want it to consume me. I know because, you know, growing up, I never really cared about the whole popularity thing. And I noticed a lot of people do. A lot of people care about those numbers, the follows. Oh, they unfollowed me and things like that. So I didn't want to get sucked in. And then I realized as I was making content, it's like, well, you're kind of not reaching anybody if you're not posting additional value of what you do on other platforms. So I started posting more on other social media accounts. And my question now is, how do you find that balance where you're working on your content, but not getting sucked into also just constantly being on social media? I think honestly, just setting a schedule okay, and sticking to it. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go on from 7 to 7.30 and go and check my messages and go and find a, piece, a few pieces of content that I'm interested in, go and comment on them then you have that boundary. But it's, it, it is tempting when you've posted something <laughs> that you're like, this is really good. Mm-hmm. And you're like watching the numbers increase. And, <laughs> and then your report at the end of the week tells you, you were on LinkedIn for this many hours. And I'm like, what? I don't think I was on there, but it's because you were going back and checking the content. Mm-hmm. It, it is easy because it feels good, right? And we know we're getting a dopamine hit <laughs> when we see those numbers rise. It's, mm-hmm. it's part of the way these things have been programmed. But I honestly would say the best thing is to just set those limits with yourself. Know that these are the times that you're going to check and it'll be there again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And the numbers will be even better tomorrow because it'll have had 24 hours to percolate. Right. And I think an extra thing to add to that would be, I think it'd be smart to also turn off the notifications or limit them. I Most of my notifications are turned off. Like phone and text are the only ones that get through to my lock screen and some of the other ones that are a little less important, but I still would like those notifications, like calendars and stuff, I'll put those in like the notification center. So you can kind of like limit where you see them. I don't have any banners because it's like, I don't want to get distracted. Like if I'm like looking at something, I don't want to say like Instagram, like, oh, 50 likes now. And you're like, oh, let me check that. And then you're like 20 minutes on Instagram. So I think that's also important is limiting your notifications so you don't get tempted. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Even like I used to have it so I could just see the number of things that were notified on the app. And now I just have it shut down. So it's like, okay, I'm allowed to go in here at this time and go and check things. And then I have to turn it off. So yes, I totally agree. It it can become an addiction, but you have to set those limits. And those are some really good tips you had there. Yeah, I mean, I hate those badges, those red badges with the numbers. It's It's almost like, I don't know how they came up with it, like how psychologically addictive that is but for some reason that red badge is just you just feel like you have to click it and get rid of it so yeah it just um yeah doing that and I think like you said the schedule is a good idea I think that's what I need to implement further 
because I've noticed sometimes I'll just get on it randomly when I'm not doing anything. And that's kind of how it starts. Yes. And that's how the workaholism starts too, is when you don't have those boundaries with your work and you're like, oh, I can just do a couple more emails and then you're knee deep in it for four more hours than you were supposed to. So exactly. Boundaries for everything I think is important. Mm -hmm. So I guess lastly, for the audience, I want to ask, you know, the show is called Learn or Be Learned. What is, and there's many things we all learn, but what is one important thing that you've either learned from others or you want others to learn from you about where you've gotten today? I would say just learn to be okay with who you are and be okay with presenting that. So again, that concept of don't fake it until you make it, don't try and fake who you are. Be okay with who you are because you're going to have people who love you. You're going to have people who hate you. And if you're trying to walk that fine line of everyone liking you, you're going to be bland. You're not going to be remarkable. So it's better to just own who you are. You're going to pay attention to the people who love you. You're going to play into them. You're going to create the content and um, the stuff that they need. The people who don't like you, yeah, they're going to heckle you a little bit and you can ignore them. You're not going to give them stuff to go after. Um, and you're going to grow so much faster if you if you are able to be okay with who you are and you'll find your people so much faster as well. Mm -hmm. And why exactly do you say not to fake it till you make it? Because it's really hard to keep track. And, you know, I have people that I work with and they're like, Oh, I have an accent and I want to, I don't want that showing up on social media. And I'm like, but if someone has a conversation with you or if they see you in a cafe and hear you talking, you might as well talk the way that you talk and yes, some people aren't going to like it. They're in the haters pile. That's okay. You're going to have the people who love you and want the information that you have. And it's so much easier just to be yourself. It's so much less exhausting than trying to keep track of who you are in what situation. And uh, again, you'll build the right audience. You'll attract the right clients. You'll attract the right employers so much faster if you're just truly who you are. And I'll have your contact information, like your website and stuff in the podcast description and I noticed that you had like a consultation call thing for people that are listening that are interested in personal branding. It was like, what, 45 minutes consultation call? Um, 30 minutes 30 discovery minutes. call. So. Discovery call. Okay. Yeah. And, and what exactly is that and how much um, can someone expect to pay? So the discovery call is free for 30 minutes. So you, if you want me to look at your LinkedIn, we can do that. If you want to just have a call about what's going on and get some tips and tricks on how you can work with that, we can do that. If you want to dive into programs where you know you're ready, you know you're ready to start elevating your personal brand and want to leverage LinkedIn better, we can talk about that. So that 30 minutes is open to whatever they want to discuss. Okay, great. Well, Angela, thank you for being on this show. I really appreciate you being here and taking the time to talk to me about some really cool topics. And um, thank you all for listening to this episode. My pleasure. Have a great day. 